You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah. Don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. All right, so the season is over for the Bengals, but definitely a lot of excitement uh, for a game coming up this week, and that is the national championship game with... Current uh, LSU Tiger and, and <coughs> under center, so uh, definitely uh, you know I, you could you could debate that this is bigger for Bengals fans than uh, than a, a lot of Bengals games this year were anyway. Uh, so to get ready for that, uh, I my guest today, my first guest here is uh, Seth Galina, who writes for. SB Nation's LSU page, uh, and the Valley Shook. Seth, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. How are you? I am great. So, uh, yeah, definitely excited to see uh, to see Burrow, see what he, he can do uh, against Clemson, against one of the best defensive coordinators, I would say, in all of football, not just college football, and Brent Venables. Uh, so, you know, excited to get another chance to to evaluate the the uh, Bengals' future signal caller. <laughs> Why well, you guys got to be done with the evaluations now? Because if he's not your quarterback, you guys gonna have more <laughs> problems going forward. Uh, you, you know, it's at this point, it's just it's just fun. It's just you know, after after a terrible, uh, hopeless season, it's it's feeling good moving forward. Uh, you know, at least ho- hopefully that's what it is. So now, now you uh, wrote an article uh, that came out this week for SB Nation, um, and you talked about uh, how Burrow really had two Heisman seasons, uh, and and how there was a, a shift this season in how he was was performing. So, uh, you know, first off, who was he at the beginning of the year? Uh, you know, how how did how would you identify him as a quarterback? You know, what was kind of his MO at the beginning of the year? Well, I mean, even early in the year, he was already this kind of super accurate guy. And so they played, LSU played Georgia Southern uh, to start the season. And I think he went, I want to say like 23 for 27 with four or five touchdown passes. And we saw the new offense and we had seen the new offense in the spring that kind of Joe Brady brought in from, uh, you know, his stops uh, along the road, uh, most notably from the New Orleans Saints. So we had saw it in the spring. There was some Saints stuff they did. We weren't really sure exactly how it was going to look. But then when we saw it against Georgia Southern, it was fast, up-tempo, something that, I mean, like, I don't mean like no huddle, like just to no huddle. I mean, they were going super fast and for, for, for LSU people, uh, this was so different. 
so we finally got to see the offense against Georgia Southern. And then there was the whole, okay, well, it's just Georgia Southern. Like, yeah, okay, it's a good group of five team. Uh, and I think, you know, the year before they won 10 games, I'm not sure how much they won, or nine or 10 games, I'm not sure how much they won this season. But we're like, okay, well, it's just Georgia Southern. But I, I just kept, when I watched the film again, I was like, man, every throw was on the money. So it's like, okay, great that people were open. I, uh, and there definitely were people open with, when you put, you know, LSU's receiving core against um, uh, a group of five uh, secondary. Um, although I'm pretty sure they have a very good corner who's going to be draft eligible this year. But anyways, so he just threw the ball accurately every play. And there was no incompletions, um, you know, a whole bunch of touchdown passes. They threw the ball. So it was like, oh, okay, you know, look, it's not a great team that they played against, but he was on time with his throws and he made everything that he, he did, everything he needed to do. And then they go play Texas and Texas doesn't know yet. I mean, the, the world didn't know yet how good Burrow was going to be. So they just played their defense and a couple things. They played a lot of kind of what you see in college football, which is that tight um, 30, uh, three, four front. Uh, and, you know, kind of played their kind of base stuff behind it. Some some cover one, some uh, things that also LSU's defensive coordinator Dave Aranda does, where he plays his kind of quarters coverage from the 34 look. And Burrow just absolutely ate them up. Absolutely ate them up. And, you know, again, I guess it turns out that Texas wasn't that good this year, especially in the secondary. But whether they played off, he ate them up. They blitzed. He threw hot off the blitz. It was one of the most special performances, definitely in LSU history, and kind of got the whole world, because it was such a, a big out-of-conference game early in the year, the whole world noticing that, wow, this is now it's different. And again, it was all timing. Like, you know, he throws a really beautiful touchdown pass to Justin Jefferson in the seam where he throws it against one-on-one -on -one coverage and he throws it back shoulder on time. You know, we're talking, take the snap, one, two, three, look at the safety, take a hit step, read the leverage of the fender, throw it away from the leverage, touchdown catch, timing, accuracy, the whole, the whole thing, perfect. So it was like, all right, well, now this is, now we're, well, maybe we're cooking. So he goes through the first half of the season and teams are just kind of playing their defense against LSU, which – I mean, I, if I was a defensive coordinator, that's what I'd be doing. I, you know, I'm not smart enough to, to see the future and to kind of think, okay, this guy is really, really good. This isn't just because he played Georgia Southern and then what turned out to be a bad Texas team. It's like, okay, this guy's like actually, actually good. So they keep winning games and then they go to Vanderbilt and they kill Vanderbilt. And then Florida, who has a really good defense, again, kind of just plays their regular Todd Grantham's, you know, 42, um, over defense and Burrow throws the ball like 20, uh, 25 times, completes 21 of them for and like another four touchdowns. So just like super efficient. Again, everything on time, everything accurate. So the week after that, they play Auburn. Auburn comes to the Tiger Stadium and Kevin Steele's the defensive coordinator there. And he says, okay, we can't do this anymore. It's, we just cannot just play our defense and hope that, we're just going to get lucky and, and stop these guys. So he put seven DBs on the field, you know, takes out a linebacker. They're really playing, you know, a lot of snaps. If you, if you go watch the tape, it's almost like a three, one, one, um, 
defense. It's like a three. What's it's like a soccer formation almost. And and, and they they just said, okay, we're we're not really going to blitz that much. We're going to play coverage uh, all the time, and then we'll hope. Hopefully, we'll he'll you know he'll make a mistake. We have a really good D line, so even if we rush three, we'll we'll be able to um, get pressure. And they had an okay game. Burrow throws for three hundred twenty one yards, which is really good, but it wasn't what Burrow was doing. Um, of course, playing that type of defense means they got gashed in the run game because you played with too many DBs, and LSU still has a pretty good O-line and a good running game. So they still allowed 500 yards of total offense. It wasn't great. But there was something there that clearly defensive coordinators going forward were going to have to take in order to try and stop Burrow. So what I looked up was his Burrow's average time to throw the football in the first half of the season, and I don't have it in front of me. But I think it's about 2.7 something, which is already very high, but um, not what it was about to be. So Auburn's kind of set the blueprint and said, okay, we're not going to do anything against Burrow. We're going to cover everybody. We're going to double cover Jamar Chase, who's their number one receiver, their weak side X. We're going to double cover when we have a chance. Um, they're... Uh, their slot receiver, Justin Jefferson, especially when he's to, when he's to the wide side of the field. And we're going to just rush three, and we're going to eventually get pressure. But the thing is, he's not going to have anyone to throw to because we're going to have, uh, you know, 12 people in coverage. So Burrow, in the second half of the season, his time to throw, his average time to throw rose to 3.15 seconds, which is absurd. If you're throwing on average 3.15 seconds, you probably are hitting under 50% of your passes. Maybe you're hitting some big plays because you you know people are you're breaking contain or whatever, but you're not being an efficient quarterback. And Joe Burrow was pretty much the same efficient quarterback that he was in the first half of the season. His completion percentage went down a bit um, from yeah we're talking like down from 79% to 76%. Which still, Dang. I think the 76% would still like break the NCAA record, right? So it's like, it's incredible. He ended up throwing for more yards um, in the second half of the season in the same seven-game sample. So the, the thing that I loved when I watched him was, I think a lot of young quarterbacks will, okay, you know, like, let's say LSU runs a lot of corner routes from their weak side receiver um, with the running back kind of flaring out to the flat and they try and get like a little high low on the cornerback. And a lot of times with defenses rushing three and playing off, you're going to get, you're not going to get the corner out because it's going to be bracketed by the cornerback and the safety. But, you know, you can just throw to the running back and get four yards and then maybe he breaks the tackle. And obviously they have a good running back who can break tackles. And, you know, maybe he goes and, and once in a while he, he picks up a first down or whatever. But Burrow said, no, I'm, I, I'm good enough. I can wait around for something to get open. I'm not scared of, of what's in front of me. And so he wouldn't kind of throw with timing anymore. So like I was saying, first half of the season, you know, the Georgia Southern game, when I saw it, okay, well, everything is on time. Everything is with rhythm. And then he wasn't allowed to do that anymore. And rhythm, I mean, for a quarterback, rhythm is everything because – you know, all our practices are, all our reps in practice are, are with rhythm because we don't get really a, the, the, the livest of looks from our defense in practice. So it's all rhythm, 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 rhythm. 
finish a drop back, throw it, finish a drop back, hitch, throw it, you know, et cetera. And that leads to, to accuracy. Cause you're, it, there's like a, a, a mental, you know, memory of it, a muscle memory of it. Sorry. So Burrow's not allowed to do that anymore. And then he responds by just being the same Burrow that we saw at the beginning of the year and just, you know, sticking around in the pocket, not being worried by anything and throwing um, explosive plays down the field when, when teams eventually, you just can't stick with LSU's receivers for that long. And Burrow just, and that's why I said Burrow had two Heisman seasons because he had the first Heisman season where everyone played their regular defense. It was all good. He was, you know, already going into the Auburn game, one of the top uh, picks for the Heisman. And then the second half of the season, he has to play this entirely new game of quarterback, and he responds by having arguably the same or even better type of year. So it, it just special, special year for Ben. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that, that it was so seamless that he just went right into it. It's like, all right, you're going to give me more time? I'll, I'll, I'll use it. Um, you know, what do you think that that means for, for him moving forward and his, his prospects in the NFL – uh, you know, being able to to adjust like that to what he's going to see, and and I guess you know, really even adjusting to a no, new offense, this will be his third new offense in in three years. Yeah, I think it's hard to really look. I'm I'm very biased. That's not you know what I mean. That's pretty obvious. Sure. <laughs> but it's it's hard to like because he did everything this year because early in the season. Teams would try, like Texas blitzed a bunch, and they were so good at getting the ball off with their, you know, the receivers running, you know, uh, what we call sight adjustments. So they're running hot routes and stuff based on the leverage of the defense when there's a blitz, and they were killing teams. I mean, there's a great clip of him throwing to Jamar Chase for a 70-yard touchdown with a free rusher in his face because that was his guy. The blitz came. It wasn't picked up by the O-linemen because they had other things. That was Burrow's guy. He knew it pre-snap. He threw the ball off of that unrushed, uh, unblocked rusher, and it resulted in a 75-yard touchdown. So, like, he was great at that before the uh, during the year, and then he was great at the complete opposite. So, I, you know, I, obviously I think that it bodes well when you're good at everything. I don't know. I, he's good at everything. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. He's having one of this unbelievable season. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
Yeah, I mean, it really is incredible. And, you know, when you look at it in those terms as well. So uh, now heading into the uh, the national championship, as I, as I said before, Clemson, you know, obviously they lost a lot of talent on defense in the draft last year. Uh, but they've, they've still got a ton of talent on that defense. And they've got uh, arguably the best defensive coordinator out there uh, in, in Venables. Uh, what? What do you expect that uh, I, I guess uh, what I'm trying to say is which Burrow are we going to see? Uh, what, what's Clemson going to throw at him? Uh, is he going to is he going to get the blitzes and have to go back to the timing, or or do you think they're they're going to let him chuck it? I think that's that's the question of the day, right? So the Venable seat this year has been very funny because he's. He loses, you, you know, you talked about, you know, that they still have a lot of talent, absolutely, but it's hard to replace four um, NFL defensive linemen in one year. Yeah. So he started the year by playing a lot of 30 fronts, a lot of three down. And what he was doing was, because I think at heart he's a, he's a four down type of guy. But he knew he just couldn't just live in 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 that with with the personnel that he had this year. So he started with a lot of three down stuff, but kind of it was like a pseudo four down because he would show the three D lineman, and then somebody else was coming from somewhere to to become the fourth rusher. And he did that for I th- I, I, I want to say the first half of the season, and then things changed. And I I wish I could tell you why. Um, I don't have the answer. But he just slowly started to go back to a true four-down um, base defense. If you watch the Ohio State game, he's in four-down almost the whole game. And if you go back and watch, you know, like the the Syracuse game early in the season, he's in three-down the whole game. So very different approaches, you know, adapting, figuring out what what's going on with his own defense as the season went on. I think you kind of unless you have the 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 Clemson D-line of 2018 I don't think you can just play four down and get away with it against LSU so I can see him going back to that three down shifting um you know who knows where the fourth rusher is coming from before the snap that type of defense and then the next question is with that is he going to send five is he going to send six or is he going to drop eight and only sent three I think I I think that he will blitz LSU he did not blitz Ohio State in the first half they killed him you know this really Ohio State should have been up by a lot more than 16 points before Clemson came back second half he started blitzing him he started giving them the venables and uh totally shut him down I don't think you can shut LSU down by blitzing, but I also think that if I was playing against LSU and I had the kind of the same talent, especially in the secondary that Clemson has, I would try to blitz, drop people, get into, into throwing lanes, maybe get Burrow to throw an interception um, you know, to a dropping defensive end that he doesn't see because they, they, you know, they try and throw hot, they try and throw a, a hot slant off of it. Burrow almost threw an interception against Ole Miss that way, so um, it can be done, um, you know. And, and like you said, Venables is <laughs> Venables is Venables. Uh, he's good, so I think he'll come up with some interesting blitzes and stuff to kind of get LSU off their game. Will it work? I hope not. 
<laughs> but if uh, again, like like you said, if there's anyone who can do it, it's 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 the guy up in in uh, in South Carolina. So yeah, I mean, and it, it's it's going to be great to see, and and you know, I guess you're looking at it from from the LSU standpoint, and and I've been looking at it all along, previewing the playoffs. Like, what do I want to see Burrow against? And I was hoping to to get to see him against Ohio State's defense as well, but uh, but Clemson's the one I really wanted to see. So, uh, you know, definitely exciting to see that matchup and, you know, to see, uh, not to be too cliche, but to to see that chess match. Um, So going back to something you said previously, you you talked about, uh, you know, against Georgia Southern, you know, you see him hitting some things. Uh, and you think, well, it's just Georgia Southern. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we get caught up in that stuff. Like, to me, uh, you can look at what a guy's doing and kind of rule out the other things that are going on around him. Uh, you know you know what I mean? Like, if, if Jamar yeah. Chase makes a great catch because the ball's off and I'm, and I'm evaluating his quarterback, uh, I'm not – uh, you know, I, I I think I'm disciplined enough in my mind and my evaluations to be like, wow, great catch, but that was a that was a crappy ball. Uh, so, you know, yeah. I, I I think that that's been thrown that was thrown around w- with two about how his talent, you know, it's been thrown around about all the all the talent, uh, you know, with the top three receivers at, at LSU, uh, and then and you know you get that with level of play as well. So, um, you know, from from your experience and you know playing quarterback. Watching this team, you know, evaluating quarterbacks, um, you know, how how do you think that you can account for the talent around them and the talent they're facing uh, in your evaluations, or or really kind of rule it out and and you know look at the player for who they are? Well, I think um, if you know what you're looking for in terms of what you know, especially in general, what a, what a read is, what a quarterback is tasked to do on each play, then you can start that way for sure. Um, certainly there's going to be teams that kind of teach their quarterback different things, but at the same, at the end of the day, you know, I talked about that smash concept that LSU runs. It's, you know, it's a high low on the cornerback. There's only so many ways you can, you can skin the, the, the smash cat. Um, so I think if you know how to do that, that helps a lot. I think, and I think the second thing is, even if you, even if you don't know anything about quarterback play, is he putting the ball more often than not, or or a lot more often than not, in the in the receiver's hands out of trouble? Like that's that's at the end of the day, you can be making all the quote unquote bad reads you want, but if you're if you're unbelievably accurate, then it kind of doesn't matter sometimes. You know, you can fit balls into places places that normally normal quarterbacks can't can't fit them into. So I think if you if you just look at accuracy, you're probably going to get a pretty good idea. Accuracy is something that we all f- want to believe can be fixed as as people kind of grow up. It's hard, can be, but you just don't see it that often. So I think you know when we're evaluating college quarterbacks. If we can strip out, like you said, if we can strip out um, the stuff that doesn't belong to him uh, and kind of look at accuracy, and then if we want to dig a little deeper, look into um, reads, then we can get a clearer picture. And if we do that, you know, we talk about Tua, 
him and Burrow, I mean, they're putting the ball in the receiver's hands. People are open, 100%. But you get, you, I've seen LSU with, with uh, very good talent, and the quarterback still couldn't put the ball in their hands. So, like, you know, Burrow's, Burrow's going to be fine in that, in that sense. Yeah, you know, and I agree. It's if you can evaluate a handful of uh, you know tight window balls, like you don't need to look at a thousand of them. You know what I mean? Just because those guys are yeah. getting open most of the time, uh, yeah. doesn't mean he's not making those throws when he has to. And, and like you said, you know, if he, if he's got the accuracy and placement, if if he's hitting those guys in stride, uh, even if they are open, he's still putting it exactly where he needs to yeah. be. So. I'm I'm 100% with you on that. So uh, there's now, one of my best sorry just one of my my best examples with that is is with my other favorite quarterback uh plays for the New Orleans Saints. So the Saints run like um I call weak side options some people call it choice whatever it doesn't matter. So it's basically just a slot back and he's running an op he's running three steps and then he's picking in or out basically. And a lot of times teams will try and force that receiver to run a, like the out per- portion of the option route. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to make him run out. And then there's a cornerback sitting there and he's going to kind of trap it and, and kind of come down and, and squeeze it from inside out. Uh, sorry, from outside in. And what you're supposed to do if you're a quarterback is throw the route that's behind the cornerback. Uh, Cause you're always going to get a route there. Um, from the play design, but Breeze is just so accurate with his timing and stuff. Sometimes teams do that to him and he still just throws the ball to the out and he hits it before the corner even gets there. So I think, you know, with accuracy and stuff, you can kind of get away with, with, um, with whatever you want, really. Yeah. And and so you, you talked a lot about his accuracy. Um, So his arm strength is something that, that some people have questions a little bit. And personally, a couple, couple things I'll say. Number one, I think arm strength is a bit over, you know, it's, it's exaggerated how important it is. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a minimum cutoff, uh, but I, I don't think, uh, you know, I think there's a point of no return on, on being able to throw a ball 80 yards. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll preface it with that. And I'll also say, I don't, I don't truly believe that, his arm is any sort of deficit. Uh, but I will say watching him on film, it seems like he throws balls. He, he throws more comebacks than, than he should be. He's throwing some comeback balls. Yeah. You're like, man, should he have, should he have kept that guy running? Um, so, you know, for, for you is somebody that's a little bit more in tune with LSU's offense uh, and, and been watching him all year. I mean, are, are, are those a lot of adjustments they're making just because he's got those receivers that can they can do it? Uh, is it something where where his you know he's got a tipping point with his arm uh, or or what do you uh, what do you think of that situation? Yeah, no, I I agree a hundred percent. I think especially on um, we're talking like like deep deep balls. Um, yes. where, where sometimes yeah exactly. But again, I guess the question is how off how often are you throwing these type of balls in your offense in the NFL? Um, where where most of the game is spent 18 yards and in, let's say, where mm-hmm. where Burrow is 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 dynamite. So I think you're I think it it is true what you're saying. I agree 100 percent that there were there have been some balls that he's kind of hung up there. 
But if you're that good uh, in the intermediate game over the middle of the field, I think uh, you're going to be able to move the ball efficiently plenty. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, too, you know, he, he he. it's not like he never hits guys in stride on deep balls. He, I think it was a, like a 35-yard touchdown to Jefferson in the playoff game. Um, you know, along the sideline, and you yeah, know, that was on the wheel, a dynamite yeah. ball right in stride. Dynamite, man, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, you definitely see it, but then you know, there's just a few more comebacks, and and even uh, even on seam routes that are that are you know, that are thrown behind the guy where you're thinking, why didn't he hit that guy in stride? You know, it's just one of those things that kind of gets in your head, but uh, but again, we're digging deep in film and we're we're getting pretty nitpicky, and I think sometimes people see st- things like that, and and it there there's been a crowd that's just like, Oh, he's got a weak arm. It's like, Oh, well that's, that's not true at all. (laughs) But yeah, uh, just trying to get to the bottom of of what that is. And, you know, if that is a limitation or, or, um, you know, like a, a a topping out point for him or, or if it's just part of the offense and, and, you know, knowing you got receivers that are going to make those uh, types of catches, uh, which the the Bengals certainly do. They, they don't have uh, they don't have a lot of guys that get separations, but they got guys that can make contested catches. Uh, that's well, I was gonna say. I mean, I don't. I it, it'll be nice seeing him with those type of receivers because there's. Uh, I think you know you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the Bengals' receiver, uh, re, re, you know, receiver room is probably their best asset on the team. Yeah, and they've got a lot of young talent. They didn't really invest too heavily in it. Uh, over the last few years, but you know, still they came out with Auden Tate, and they've got Stanley Morgan, uh, who you know a lot of people have a lot of faith in. Uh, Damian Willis is a, a guy in last year's draft that I honestly knew nothing about. He was so deep in, in the draft they they got him as a as a uh, undrafted free agent, uh, and then all of a sudden I went and watched his film, and and that was, the guy's ridiculous. Uh, some of the catches he makes. So, uh, yeah, there's some there, there's some interesting uh, pieces in there, even past the the obvious guys like hopefully Boyd, hopefully John Ross. Uh, I'm sorry, hopefully uh, AJ Green, uh, hopefully John Ross and, and Tyler Boyd. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talent, a lot of depth there, and some uh, you know some real potential in that group. Yeah, and 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 hopefully Burrow. Um, the thing with Burrow is. The arm strength doesn't concern me as much as maybe his age. You know, redshirt senior, he's going to be, I think he turned 23 already. So is he, is he a product of, of being a 23-year-old beating up on 19-year-olds? It's mm. possible. But again, the accuracy is so good and the timing is so good that I think he kind of transcends the age difference. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you on that, and 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 some of these guys are, I mean, you see the what the breakout age of some of these guys is, and and how they're coming out, uh, even young. Um, but I I tend to not put too much on on that sort of thing. Uh, if we were talking about Brandon Whedon, Chris Winkie kind of age, I'd be concerned. But yeah, uh, of course. But, but yeah, when you're talking about you know that, and you still get a bright you know long NFL future ahead of him. So um, now. Uh, you know, we, we, we've touched on a lot of these things uh, as we've been talking, but, um, you know, what to you it makes Joe Burrow, you know, an elite NFL quarterback, uh, makes him a guy that, that 
you know that that you would want to to be the face of your franchise uh, for years to come? Uh, well, because he played at my favorite school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, look, he, he's got it all. Um, you know, I think they really like him. Um, from what I understand, in the locker room, he's a good guy like that. Um, you know, he he's just he's got everything, and he didn't have it before. Um, you know, two years ago wasn't the greatest year, though. Obviously, when you look back in hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, of course. Uh, when you really look at it, he was actually really good, but he was held back by blah blah blah. Like he wasn't that good. He was probably better than 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 he than we kind of thought he was. And the scheme didn't help him, and and um, uh, even like the talent around him wasn't as good as it was this year. But he's just having the, the one of the best college football seasons of all time. So it's hard not to like, not to like a guy like that. You know, he comes from a system where he might not be exactly the New Orleans Saints offense, but you can see a lot of the concepts are the same, and even you'd imagine a lot of the teaching is the same, which I think is important. So uh, there's just there's a lot to like. There's really a lot to like. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's an exciting time. Just uh, hoping to see some some good things uh, on Monday night, and uh, you know, a, a, a good good injury free you know knock on wood game. I think that's the only thing that's terrifying uh, is is, yeah. uh, is that aspect of things. The Bengals Bengals fans have been through a lot. Uh, <laughs> but uh so uh seth glenn is my my guest today uh again uh writes about lsu for sb nation seth anything else uh you'd like to plug any other work you have places they can find your work uh just you can just find me on twitter at seth galena all right great follow some uh real good uh not just bureau stuff but quarterback stuff you put out some trevor lawrence stuff earlier this week um and um you know, definitely, uh, definitely a great follow, and and check out that article uh, that he he uh, put out this week about Burrow's two Heisman seasons. Uh, required reading material for all Bengals fans. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called "The Future of Work," where I answer all your questions on surprise. The future of work. Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so my next guest is Clint Lamb from Roll Tide Wire. We have got uh, a lot going on right now, and obviously we're talking a lot about Joe Burrow with the national championship coming up, uh, but it is official. There is another big-time quarterback that we need to be talking about in this NFL draft. So, Clint, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing tonight, Matt? Awesome. We, I am great. So, Glad to have uh, glad to have you on. So, obviously, at the beginning of the year, it was it was tank for tool was the big slogan, uh, more so in Miami than Cincinnati. But it started to catch on a little bit in Cincinnati, and uh, you know Burrow 
really uh, made it a push and was pushing Tua for number one overall. Uh, and then Tua's injury, you know, is what really knocked him off and, and made it officially Joe Burrow. So we'll start with that as somebody that, that covers Bama. Uh, you know, what what is the news? What are we hearing right now about Tua's prognosis and, you know, uh, where he's going to be at for being able to play next season? Yeah, well, right now, uh, from all indications, he's making really good progress. Uh, they're hoping that within a couple of months he's able to start doing a little bit more. Uh, he's still very limited. It, it was good to see him come into the press conference when he made his announcement that he'd be leaving for the NFL and didn't have any sort of uh, crutch or, you know, he was walking fine under his own power. Uh, that was really good to see. Um, you know, th- he went up to New York. He got, obviously got some good news from whoever he visited from a doctor standpoint up there. I think that that started to make NFL teams a lot more comfortable with where he's at. And the big issue and one of the big reasons why I seriously thought he could, he could consider returning to Alabama is he wants to be a first-round pick, and from all indications, he's going to be uh, and probably going to be a very high first-round pick still. But he was but concerned he was- um, about you know the decision that he had to make had to be by January 20th. And, and with where he's at with his hip, you know, they don't know definitively, you know, where he's going to be at uh, in the future as far as whether that be next year, whether that be long term. And so I think you might have been a little bit concerned about, hey, if I go ahead and declare on January 20th and then, you know, let's say it's the end of February, the beginning of March or something like that. And, you know, it comes out some sort of really bad news I could drop to the second round. Um, and I think that was somewhat of a concern for him. Um and But at the end of the day, I think some NFL team, I don't know which one, but from what I've heard, kind of let him know, hey, um, if you choose to come out, I'm telling you, at X pick, and I don't know what pick that is, but um, whatever pick that that particular NFL franchise had, if you make it to us, we're going to take you. And I think that when his family got a chance to kind of put a floor to where he's going to, you know, the, the latest that he could potentially fall and put a number from, you know, a financial standpoint, with that uh, floor, just it became very real for them as far as the money and all those things involved. And so while I think it was – he really strongly considered coming back to Alabama for his senior season, you know, right here towards the tail end within the you know last couple of days, to be honest, he decided to make the decision uh, really at the advice of his father and some of his other family after a lot of extensive conversations to go ahead and come out. And I think that – you know, a lot of Alabama fans are disappointed, uh, but it's not, they're not upset with him in any way. It's just, you know, he's one of the most beloved Alabama players of all time. So, you know, him being gone obviously uh, is, is kind of a, an un- unfortunate end, especially the way that it ended. But um, I think most Alabama fans uh, support the decision. And, and from my standpoint, I definitely think he made the right call. So you kind of hinted at it, uh, you know, in your opinion, where do you think he, he might fall? And, you know, to another level, what do you think would be a good fit for him uh, and his skill set? That's a really interesting question. Uh, obviously, the most, pe- most people are talking about the Miami Dolphins at five. Um, I think that that's where you really start the conversation. I've heard the reports uh, about the uh, Detroit Lions potentially thinking about taking him. Uh, I think they're picking at number three, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I think right now you're going to have a lot of those teams, whether it be the Washington Redskins, the the New York Giants, or the Detroit Lions, really trying to 
push the agenda or the, the, the idea that they could potentially take a quarterback, maybe not the Redskins, of course, but and, and really not the Giants either unless they pulled a Josh Rosen. And I don't, I don't foresee that happening. Really, it's the Detroit Lions at number three who really have the ability to push the, the idea that they could potentially take a quarterback um, and really try to get a team like the Miami Dolphins to maybe trade up. Um, into that pick, I don't know, you know, would a team be willing to do that? I don't know. But when you start talking about, you know, number five, I think right now, just based off of what we know, is probably where things really start for him. But then you've got a lot of other teams uh, who are up there, uh, the the Carolina Panthers, the Jacksonville Jaguars, potentially at number nine. Um, granted, I think they're probably, you know, I don't really know. I don't, I'm not a beat writer for the Jaguars or I'm not covering them extensively, but I was a huge fan of what Gardner Minshew was able to do. Um, I think he could potentially be a franchise quarterback. And if the Jaguars feel the same way, then then they probably wouldn't need a guy like Tua. But, you know, when you have a chance, and, and this is the big thing, when you get outside the top five, and, and the NFL is such a QB-driven league now, uh, even more so than it was, you know, even five years ago, if you have the chance outside of the top five to get a guy who would have been the number one or number two overall pick and, and a dynamic quarterback prospect, that just doesn't happen that often. And and so, you know, that could potentially change your franchise for the next decade plus and really put you in a position like Drew Brees has for the Saints and, and Tom Brady for the New England Patriots, where you can consistently compete for for playoff spots and divisional cha- uh, divisional championships and and Super Bowls year in a year out. And I think that even if you have to wait on Tua for, for a year, you know, what is that year compared to the next decade? Um, it's, it's well worth it, in, at least in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of NFL franchises out there, uh, especially, you know, I think the, the later side of things, as far as where I believe he would probably go would, would maybe be the, uh, the Oakland Raiders who are soon to be the Las Vegas Raiders, um, at number 12, that would probably, to me, I think it's fall somewhere between five and 12 and, and which team, you know, that, that remains to be seen, uh, from the standpoint of just two, I think he could survive and really thrive in, in a lot of different offenses. He's very accurate. He can do a lot of different things. Maybe, um, you know, he's got great deep ball accuracy. Uh, he missed a couple of throws, but, I mean, that's going to happen. Um, you know, I think from from the standpoint of wanting him to be in the best position to succeed, Alabama fans probably want him somewhere with an offensive line that could adequately protect him. That's something that, of course, you know, with that injury history, you want to see him get the right protection. Uh, playing in a dome would be awesome when you're talking about Drew Brees and his accuracy and what he's been able to do in a dome, uh, seeing Tua Tungvaloa in the same kind of A system and B, you know, stadium where you get to play at least half your games in a dome would be, you know, a lot of fun to see and more of a controlled environment. There's just a lot of factors that go into it. And um, I would say, I will say this, uh, whoever ends up drafting Tua just because of how much he's loved by Alabama fans, there's going to be a significant portion of the Alabama fan base that is going to become default uh, fans of whatever franchise gets them just because they don't really follow NFL as closely. You know, you have fans who are Titans fans uh, down here. You have Saints fans. You have Falcons fans. You're going to have the national teams as well. But with there not being an NFL team in the state of Alabama, you know, it's really all about college football. But seeing a guy like Tua, uh, who is so beloved, I mean, wherever he ends up, people are going to follow that team. And really pull for that team, so it's uh they're they're definitely going to add to their numbers as far as uh, the fan base is concerned. Whoever ends up getting them, yeah, it's a really interesting year for quarterbacks too, because you know not uh, you know just past the Dolphins, you've got the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers with an aging quarterback. Um, 
You've got much farther down, you know, who knows if they'd have any chance of having the capital move up. You've got the, the Saints and the Patriots and um, and right around that same spot with Oakland uh, and the teens, the, the Colts and, and Tampa Bay. And uh, I'm sure, you know, pretty long drive, but I'm sure uh, I'm sure a lot of Alabama fans would make the trip down to Tampa Bay to watch some of those games. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. And, and I, I think there's a really good chance. Uh, I don't. I don't think. It, obviously, it's you know. Definitely seems like it's going to be Burrow uh, at number one. I don't know who with a quarterback would possibly pass up Chase Young, uh, but that third spot is interesting. And you know, you could absolutely see some movement there. Um, really, from from any direction. That, that's a uh, that's that's a gift the Lions have. It's going to be really interesting to see uh, what they what they do with that. Um, because I would, I would certainly think they're going to get offered something that's that's enough for them to to move it and look past whatever they're looking for. Right, and I think that it's you know it's kind of dependent upon what Detroit's sort of looking for, uh, what their needs are. Um, you know, do you make the kind of trade that the uh, the San Francisco 49ers made with the Chicago Bears, where you move down? You know, they just move down one spot, but do you just move from three to five with the Dolphins? Um, and, you know, who knows what the value there as far as their picks are concerned, what they could do just dropping two spots. Mm. Um, but, you know, that compared to dropping maybe down somewhere, maybe where the Oakland Raiders are at, they have two first-round picks as well. Um, and, you know, that would potentially be something kind of like that Sam Darnold uh, trade with the Jets a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, I don't remember exactly what the haul was for the um, – I don't remember who traded down with them at that pick, but I do know the Jets traded up and – you know, I guess it would depend on how far the, the lines wanted to move down. But the good news is that they have options and that they're, they're, they're such an intrigue with Tua because in so many ways he is the complete package. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have weaknesses to his game, but just from an off the field standpoint, from a positivity standpoint, Nick Saban has talked about that so much when talking about Tua is just the, the positive as, uh, aspect and, and just the way his attitude really carries over into a lot of the other players in the locker room. I mean, when the injury happened, he was just, he had such a positive mentality about it. There are certain people in the way that they live their life um, that they're kind of looking, always looking for what can go wrong in situations and, and to a tongue of a low. And really a lot of that family uh, have the mentality, we're going to look for what can go right. And even though he had just suffered, you know, potentially career ending injury at the time, uh, there was a lot of uh, fear, a lot of concern, you know, he chose to focus on the positives, the things that he did still have in his life. Uh, you know, he, the faith that he has in God. I mean, it's just he's a great kid, and he's going to make a, a really big impact on whoever ends up drafting him, you know, from the, the, the GM and the owner all the way down to, you know, the, the, the janitors and stuff that are uh, cleaning up the stadium. I mean, it's just he, he has that type of impact, and he treats everybody with such a caring um, – you know, he has such a caring personality that people, he has a, a way of making people feel really comfortable and really uh, cared about. And I think that's really important. I know that that's, you know, you got to win games on the field. It's a lot about what you do on the field, but he brings so much more to the table than just being a dynamic quarterback. And I think that's really adds to the intrigue of an NFL franchise potentially taking him. Um, he's going to get into some of these interviews and I think he's going to absolutely crush it and just his, his demeanor. And you got to think if, if he can have that, type of infectious uh, personality um, 
you know, four-year franchise, especially a struggling franchise like the Miami Dolphins, all the all the adversity that they've gone through. You got to think a guy who can come in and really take command and always have a positive attitude. He's always looking for things that can go right. You know, that that's infectious. Just the, in the same way that someone that has a negative personality and and attitude can can negatively affect your franchise. So, it's very important uh, that I think that he brings that to the table. Uh, and, and and it should work out for for both Tua and whoever ends up drafting him. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you make a, a good point about the Dolphins and, and kind of what you were touching on at the beginning that, you know, if, if you can get that quarterback, uh, if you have an opportunity, you've got to do it. And, and you know, two of this year with, with that whole situation, it, you know, it's a bit of a gamble, uh, but it, it also means you can, you can get it for, for less and, uh, you know, not having to have that first round pick like you normally do. Um, just to step in here, so um, the Jets – Moved up three spots for Sam Darnold, uh, and they uh, they gave up. Um, they gave the Indianapolis Colts uh, two second round selections uh, in in that year's draft. So uh, two seconds uh, to swap first round picks and move up third spot uh, three spots. So nothing crazy. The, the Dolphins have like three first round picks, so uh, definitely could be uh, an opportunity there for them. Absolutely. Um, now you uh, you touched on it. We started talking a little bit about you know what Tua brings to the table. So, um, Bengals the Bengals have a way of drafting guys who are hurt, uh, from Billy Price to last year. You know uh, Jonah Williams. Uh, you know gets hurt in OTAs, and uh, you know there's some talk afterwards about the fact that none of us noticed that he was wearing a, a, a shoulder brace the the, the previous year. Uh, his junior year. Um, so Bengals fans are a little bit scared of this situation, rightfully so. Uh, sell two on me. You know, what What makes him worth the risk? You know, what, what could potentially make him worth the risk uh, when you have an opportunity to go with a guy like Burrow who is safer uh, from an injury standpoint uh, at this point anyway? That, that's a really uh, interesting question. Um, and to be honest with you, uh, just with the way that Joe Burrow has emerged, I mean, obviously, and, and the fact that he's from that area um, really has, you know, he wants to play for the Bengals, and that's fantastic. I think he'll he'll be a great fit there if they choose to take him at number one overall. I do think um, as far as consistency goes, uh, you saw what Joe Burrow was last year. You saw him in LSU's offense, and it was the perfect system for him. Joe Brady was an excellent addition to that staff and really made you know all the difference in the world in turning that offense, really what was considered a Georgia-styled archaic offense, into one of the most dynamic offenses in college football history in just a year. Um, and that obviously, you know, Joe Burr had a major uh, impact on that uh, transpiring. Um, but then you also got to kind of wonder, wh- where was he at last year? And, and I'm – you know, guys make, you know, significant jumps as far as their talent level. And so you don't want to take away from that. Personally, I think he's going to be a, a fantastic NFL quarterback. But you do have to kind of say, okay, where was he at last year? You add a guy like Joe Brady. Do we have that kind of impact uh, on our coaching staff that can really take advantage of everything that Joe Burrow brings to the table? And, you know, when you compare that to Tua, Tua played, uh, started two different seasons under two different offensive coordinators. Uh, he had some down moments, but at the same time, uh, the consistency was certainly there from from an impactful standpoint when he was on the field. And the injuries are going to be a concern. I don't want to take away from that. Uh, I do think the hip injury was very fluky. 
You can point to a lot of the other stuff with his lower body, his ankles, his knees. Uh, he's constantly been dealing with stuff. Uh, and that's really why he had the, that uh, tightrope surgery on, on both of his ankles is to try to get those strengthened up and fixed to where it's not a long-term issue. But the, the hip was just a very fluky thing. And so as long as he can recover from that, he'll have some, some lingering effects for the, probably the rest of his life but it shouldn't hinder him on a football field. And so from that standpoint, you got to say, okay, you can't really look at the hip injury and say, uh, you know, as far as I know, I don't think he's, you know, there was, uh, I've heard people compare it to Dennis Pitta, the former tight end for for the Baltimore Ravens. If I'm not mistaken, he might've suffered a second hip injury. Uh, And if that's the case, I don't know the recurring, uh, how recurring those kind of things are. Uh, But, you know, the hope would be that once he gets over this, it won't be a problem anymore. And if that's the case, I mean, what would have been really interesting is had Tua not gotten hurt really at all this season. He had kind of dealt, dealt with the injury-prone label with all the injuries that he suffered last year. Um, I would have been very interested to see the debate between Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa just because of that consistency factor and doing it for a longer period of time. Um, and I do think the lower body injuries during Tua's time in Tuscaloosa really kind of in some ways took a toll on him mentally. When he first got to Alabama – uh, he's always had this mentality of when he steps on a football field, he believes there's nothing he cannot do. Um, and and he, like I said, he's always looking for what can go right. And that was a very stark difference when you compare that to Jalen Hurts during that first season that Tua was on campus. Uh, it seemed like Jalen Hurts was always trying to to not make a mistake. He was very limited at what he would be willing to do. Uh, he didn't throw a whole lot of interceptions, but a limited uh, you know, limited turnovers, you know, from your quarterback and sometimes mean limited offense, meaning you're not taking enough chances. And we saw that with Jalen and then, you know, compare that to a guy like Tua. Tua steps up and he, you know, he could go out there and throw two, three interceptions and his ability to bounce back after after interceptions or any sort of mistake is huge. Uh, he certainly, any sort of pass mistakes do not affect him whatsoever. And I think that is so rare. Uh, your your top players and really NFL history, when you look at it, I mean, the Brett Favre's, I mean, a lot of these guys, it was their ability to put mistakes behind them and immediately move on. And it was just, you, you never saw those kind of mistakes kind of mount up. Um, and it never affected, like, you know, Brett Favre could go out there and throw four interceptions, and, and he didn't care a bit because that next drive when he's walking out there, he's not worried about throwing another interception. He's slinging the ball around just the same as he was before he threw them. Uh, it's, it's a confidence level in yourself, and I think that, Two is is very faith based. He believes that he can do anything, uh, you know, through God, and and that's very important. That's something that doesn't go away, no matter what kind of adversity you deal with. Uh, and I think that's what made has made Tua such a special prospect, uh, really in high school and, and college, and, and will make him a, a special player in the NFL. So it's very tough um, with with kind of how teams are going to evaluate those injuries. And it's tough because you don't want to put Joe Burrow down too much. I mean, you try to nitpick and, and find the flaws in his game. The one thing we don't have, and, and and it's the same thing, you know, Cam Newton had the one season at Auburn. Um, you know, Mitch Trubisky did not have a whole lot of starts at North Carolina. Limited tape, but Joe Burrow in that LSU offense, that Joe Brady offense, I would have been very curious, you know, if it had been a, you know, an underclassman and would have came back for another year, giving college defenses, especially in the SEC, an entire offseason to really study up on what it is that you do and don't do well, I would have been really curious to see how he responded next season. And that's something that we won't get to see. Um, 
And, and so from that perspective, it, it's rather concerning, but just it, it's very hard to teach what he does well. Just his ability to thrive in chaotic pockets, uh, find guys, you know, uh, he's always looking for the guy open downfield. He's mobile enough to make an impact with his legs. He's not a stationary guy. Um, he, he throws with, with extremely uh, impressive accuracy. I mean, he's just, he's just got like all the tools as well. He doesn't have any off-the-field concerns. So when comparing the two, I mean, you could say something positive about two, and in a lot of ways you can say the same thing about Joe, and the fact that Joe does not have the injury history probably plays a lot more in Joe's favor. But, you know, I still think that Tua um, will end up being a, a – I think both quarterbacks are going to end up being fantastic in the NFL. Yeah, and when you talk about adversity, I, I think obviously Joe Burrow has faced adversity uh, with his his injury that prevented him from being able to uh, uh, to really you know have an opportunity to compete with uh, with Haskins for the starting job at Ohio State. Um, you know, with having to sit behind those guys at Ohio State, and this season, however, we haven't seen him face a lot of adversity. You know, in game. Um, you know, so I'm not questioning uh, that that he can handle in the big scheme of things because obviously it's it's not like he walked into a starting role and it's been fantastic for you know three four years, um, but really that LSU Bama game, um, to me those guys were were neck and neck and I kind of kept going back and forth on on who I wanted, uh, you know, really up until Tua's injury, um, you know, they were always real close to each other. And in that LSU Bama game, obviously Burrow, he had, he was better statistically. Uh, you know, his team won the game, but I I felt like Tool really fought through some stuff. And even though he wasn't having a great game, things weren't going great. Uh, you know, the way he just he just kept coming uh, and and you know kept that team competitive in in the second half. Um, I honestly came away from that game. You know, looking at the two face to face, Tua was the one that had more of an uptick from that game uh, to me compared to Burrow, just because of that adversity he faced. And and I'm 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 hoping you know against Clemson that we uh, we see Brett Venables uh, have that game plan like you're talking about since he's had a couple weeks to prepare here um, and and really give give Tua uh, or excuse me give uh, give Burrow. Uh, some fits early on just to see how he deals with that. Uh, Cause I, I definitely think that that's a, that's a huge strength. You know, you touch on it and his, his, his faith and, you know, his ability to look past interceptions, things like that. Uh, definitely to me, a huge strength of, of Tua's game. Absolutely. And, and I'll give Joe Burrow credit in, as far as this is concerned. I think that he's dealt with more adversity on a football field um, than, than people realize. Maybe, uh, you know, the, the defense for LSU has not been as good as we've seen it in the past. So he's had to to go to war and outscore opponents a few times, including against Alabama. Uh, both defenses really struggled in that game. Um, and, and to see him constantly responding and, and not getting down, uh, sometimes quarterbacks and, and offensive players can get frustrated when they're doing their job constantly mm. and the defense keeps giving up, you know, big plays and allowing – you know, it just seems like that you got to have the uh, the – the foot on the pedal for the entire 60 minutes of the game and that can be kind of frustrating you never saw that from joe burrow he, he took that stuff in stride when it would happen um mm-hmm. and and then of course you know alabama's pass rush 
um, really got after Joe Burrow, I felt like. And and I think they did a really good job. They just couldn't finish. And that, I think that was more reflective of, of Joe than it was Alabama's defense. I mean, there were several times I thought Terrell Lewis was going to have them for a sack or whatever, and, and Joe would be able to escape the pocket and elude the pressure and just do a lot of the things that, that really is what sets him apart. Um, and so while – the adversity from an outside perspective, it might not, it might have not looked that way uh, because he wasn't getting sacked several times. I felt like Alabama's pass rush really, in some ways, beat up on LSU's offensive line at certain points in that game, and it was Joe Burrow who was constantly overcoming uh, the, the 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 weaknesses of the offensive line and continuing to make plays. And you're talking about when when a guy can do that. That is so special because it really frustrates defenses. And I cannot stress that enough. I was a defensive player when I played. When you constantly feel like you're, you're doing everything you possibly can, you're, and a guy just keeps making plays, and it, just, it almost feels like he's unstoppable. Like You get to a point where you're like, I really can't do any more than I'm doing. Um, that gets in the heads of defenses, and at that point, Joe Burrow and that LSU offense have won. And if he can achieve that kind of level of, of – uh, frustration as far as frustrating defenses in the NFL, he's going to have a, a ton of success on that level, um, you know, to the same degree probably that he's had at LSU. So there's there's positive aspects to both. And, and so it's very tough to compare the two. And ultimately, I think at this point, most people are going to say, I mean, Cincinnati's definitely going to go Joe Burrow. Uh, but I would have been very curious to see how this debate would have played out had Tua not gotten, you know, really suffered two more injuries. He suffered the ankle injury and then a couple of weeks later the hip. So it just mounted even more uh, for him. And that injury prone label got a little bit louder. And so the, the what if game, you can play it all day, but it, that would have been really fun to see, you know, the talking heads really debate those two prospects. And, and sitting here covering a team with the first round pick, that would have been a blast. Uh, it would have, would would have had content for months. It would have been perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And you know that's, it, I think yeah, I think at this point, from from your perspective, uh, I don't, I don't see unless something you know monumental happens. I don't see Cincinnati going anywhere but Joe Burrow, and that probably takes a lot of the 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 steam out of the excitement. Uh, but at the same time, you're getting Joe Burrow, so it's hard not to be excited about that. That's true. Uh, we know they're not going to screw it up, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so you, you made some really interesting points there, and and a couple of things I didn't think about that, you know, like you said, when that when you're getting the ball off, um, and the pass rush is almost getting there, and they're and they're really doing their job, they're just not quite getting there in time. Uh, you know, that level of frustration. That's a different way to keep coming. Like I like I said that uh, that tool was doing. You know, even though he he, uh, he had some struggles during that game, um, I also think uh, you made a great point about you know the way he kept rolling when he needed to score, uh, keep scoring points, uh, and and focusing on his job and keeping coming. Uh, you know, that's really leadership. You know, to you know not you know be be the guy who's really the team has been put on. Uh, you know, largely by the media, but. I think I think everybody sees Burrow as that team's identity and the you know the guy that brought them to where they're at, competing for a championship right now. Uh, but you know, being able to have that to to know that you're performing uh, and go to the you know when you go to the sidelines and you see the defense score, just be like, all right, well we got to score another one now. Uh, so you know, it's definitely a 
a lead, you know, a, a, like a lead by example sort of sort of leadership to just go out there and keep doing your thing, even when when people around you are struggling. Right. And and that's huge. And when you talk about from the Burroughs teammates perspective, when you've got a player like that and he's playing like he he has all season. um Man, I'll tell you what, it, 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 it's comforting. Think about if you're playing for the Green Bay Packers over the last, you know, decade uh, with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. If you get down 14, 21 points, you never feel out of it. You never let yourself really feel deflated because you're like, we have Aaron Rodgers. This guy's been here before. He's made comebacks. We trust him. There's just this, you don't have to force yourself to, to feel good about something. You just do because you know that there's an experienced guy, a dynamic type of quarterback who is constantly going to keep you in any game, uh, really regardless of what is going on. You know, with Tua, you know, a lot of things weren't going in Alabama's favor in that first half, and it's the same thing with Tua. You know, with that fumble that he had with the drop punt uh, that Alabama had, and they got down, you know, what was it? I, I forget the the score. Thirty something to. I mean, I want to say it was something like twenty points. Um, and yet Alabama was able to battle back. And why is that? A, you know, Tua was doing making a lot of big plays on the field, but it was also because all those teammates that he had going into the locker room at halftime did not feel like they were out of it. They're like, hey, you know, we got Tua Tagovailoa as a quarterback. He, you know, he's capable of making these sort of come uh, types of comebacks. There's plenty of weapons for him to throw to. They just felt very confident and their ability to to stay in that football game, and you were able to see them battle back and, and almost win it. They had some chances there. So it's the same thing with Burrow and Tua Tungvaloa, and I think that's really special. Uh, and it's something that I don't think Burrow or Tungvaloa, either one, really are trying to do. It's just this natural confidence the rest of your squad has when, when you know you've got a special talent like that as your quarterback. So, you know, we – Looking at the NFL draft, are not going to have this debate uh, between who's who's going number one. You know, we were robbed of that by injury. Um, is there going to be a debate in Alabama uh, this spring? Uh, obviously, Mac Jones took over uh, to finish the season, and there's another takeover there. Um, also, it's Bama, so it's not like they can't uh, attract somebody from the uh, the transfer portal. Uh, if they want to. So what what do you think is the uh, the future of the, the quarterback position? Is this going to be a, a heated contest in, in the spring and in fall camp? You know what? I think so. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, there's a five-star freshman phenom out of California by the name of Bryce Young, and he's only about 5'11 or 6 foot, weighs about 183, 185 pounds right now. Very undersized guy, but he was the number six overall prospect according to 247 Sports. Uh, the number one quarterback, and, and when you watch this kid play, I'm telling you, I, even watching Tua Tungvalu in high school, uh, I think that Bryce Young, as far as the ceiling, could be every bit as good as, as Tua, and, and what would really help set him apart is if he could stay healthy and have the same kind of production and talent level as Tua. I think that would maybe separate those two, and I know that's a bold statement, um, and put, but if you know Alabama fans are thrilled about adding this guy, and everybody's already handing him the starting job, I'm here to tell you right now, the Alabama program has not been built on handing true freshmen starting jobs without them having even stepped on campus. And so that's not, certainly not something that Nick Saban and that coaching staff is going to do. And at this point, you you have to assume uh, that Mac Jones is going to be the starter. I mean, outside of one critical mistake against Auburn in the Iron Bowl and that second pick six that he had, I would not put that on him. 
Um, I think, you know, to a certain degree, uh, he was partly to blame, but there was a lot of factors involved with that. And so it was just sort of a fluky situation that led to it. Um, nine, nine times out of 10, that's an incomplete pass, but it just, that's the way that it worked out. But that first pick six was, was terrible. And that was a very poor throw. But outside of that, uh, Mac Jones has played pretty flawless football, whether it's been in practices and scrimmages and a day games, uh, in those kind of, uh, cupcake games that a lot of people talk about. And then of course, you, you know, he played Auburn, he played Michigan, uh, he played some tough teams and he was able to really do well and, and continue to ha- help that Alabama offense thrive. And so until he's done something to really lose that job uh, or Bryce Young actually gets on campus and takes that job from him, he's just that good, you, you have to assume that's going to be Mac Jones. And, and a lot of people, I guess the forgotten man right now, as crazy as it is, is to his little brother, uh, Talia. He's a very talented kid. Uh, I don't think he's quite as talented maybe as Tua was coming out of high school. He's got to spend a year you know, kind of learning. You see the flashes sometimes from him, the same kind of flashes that Tua Tungvaloa has. And, and so I think he ends up kind of get he's getting overlooked right now. A lot of people are assuming he's going to end up transferring. There's all sorts of speculation. You know, will he go to LSU, who recruited him pretty heavily? Would he go to Miami if two ends up with the Dolphins and, and transfer to, you know, because Miami's quarterback situation is a mess. Uh, there's just so much speculation, and you don't want to fuel those rumors too much. But you have to acknowledge that they exist. Uh, but he's a talented kid and will continue to compete for that starting quarterback job as well. Uh, and what, what I love about the, uh, the tongue of Aloha family is that they are they have zero fear when it comes to, to competition. In fact, that they understand how competition works and it makes you better as a player, makes you better as a person and, and they really thrive in competition. So I'll be really excited to see, you got to think from, from, from Talia's standpoint, when he first got on Alabama's campus, he knew he probably wouldn't. He did, probably didn't want to beat out his brother for the starting quarterback job. But now that his brother's gone, you know he's probably ready to really get in there and compete. He's not going to concede anything. So for Alabama fans, it's a good problem to have. They have three really talented guys. They also have Paul Tyson, a four-star kid uh, who's a redshirt freshman, or he will be heading in the next year. He was Paul Bear Bryant's great grandson. Uh, so just a lot of talent in the quarterback room, and and I think that's helped ease the pain of losing to a Tungvaloa, especially with Bryce Young being as talented and hype as he is coming out of high school, that's certainly helped that situation. So Alabama fans can rest easy knowing they're in pretty good shape when it comes to the quarterback position. Yeah, that's <laughs> even even deeper than I than I thought it was when I asked the question. That's that's uh that's that's impressive. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So uh you know I think that uh, there's been a lot of uh talk about Bama players in the last week. A lot of guys coming out saying I'm going to the draft. Other guys coming out and officially declaring that they're they're sticking around, uh, playing another year. Uh, and and I think everything got lost in Tua because uh, obviously that was the big news uh, nationally. So uh, just uh, for for people that are a little bit more more casually uh, following Alabama and the the NFL draft, uh, can you can you give us a quick update? Who's who's staying? Who's going? Yeah, no problem. Uh, you know, Devontae Smith is going to be returning for a senior season. That gives Alabama a solid one-two punch at receiver despite losing two first-round talents, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III. Both did declare. I think that they're two of the top receivers taken in the draft. Two very special players. Um, Jedrick Wills, to me, probably one of, if not the best offensive tackle in college football this year, right tackle. Um he declared uh, Alex Leatherwood, the starting left tackle, the bookend for Jedrick. He decided to come back, which was huge for Alabama. 
um, defensively. Terrell Lewis, while he hadn't officially declared, I mean, you can go ahead and assume he's, he's probably gone. I mean, he participated in senior day, and uh, he skipped the bowl game. So, you know, it, while he hadn't officially made any sort of announcement, he might not just because he, hey, you know, I guess everybody should just assume based off the of decisions I've made. Um, but he's a guy who was able to stay healthy this year. His, his production level down the stretch kind of tailed off a little bit, but he's an impact uh, edge presence, and I think will make a, a, an NFL team very happy as long as he can stay healthy. Um, you know, Xavier McKinney is a guy, very versatile prospect, uh, kind of in that same mold as Minka Fitzpatrick, maybe not to the same degree, but uh, I, I, he did end up declaring. So between him, you have seniors like Jared Maiden and Shaheen Carter, Trevon Diggs. The Oklahoma secondary took a pretty big hit, um, but I still think they got some pieces in place. But so many NFL prospects on that side of the football. Um, Dylan Moses, of course, coming back from that torn ACL, there were a lot of people that thought he might go ahead and make the jump to the NFL, uh, but he ultimately decided to come back, which is huge for Alabama. Um, that would be a guy for, for Cincinnati fans to maybe look out for in, in the 2021 NFL draft. If he can stay healthy, uh, I know that you guys have kind of needed to, to add a presence on that side of the football at linebacker and, and Pratt and some of those guys that you guys already have on the roster. I mean, there's there's some potential there. Uh, but a guy like Dylan Moses, if, if you could land at Joe Burrow and then you know, land your defensive leader on the on that side of the football the following draft. I mean, that would be huge. So Bengals fans uh, should definitely keep an eye out for Dylan Moses for 2021. Uh, and I think that pretty much got everybody covered outside of Najee. He, he has not, uh, Najee Harris, for the people that don't know, uh, he has not officially made his decision yet. A lot of people are speculating that he's going to return. I would be very surprised if that happened. Um, you know, simply, I understand that the, the class, the 2020 running back class is very impressive. And that might be what's kind of uh, forcing his hand a little bit. But Alabama's backfield is loaded. There was a five-star guy that tore his ACL, or excuse me, had a foot injury um, and, and missed his entire freshman season. He'll be back. Brian Robinson. There's just so many guys uh, in that Alabama backfield. If he wants to continue to get the kind of carries that he did down the stretch for Alabama, that's just very tough to see with all those mouths they're going to have to feed. So now might be the time for him to jump to the NFL, but that's not official. So I think that's got everybody covered. Uh, like every year, seems like Alabama's losing a ton of talent on both sides of the football, but hopefully they have enough to kind of overcome it and uh, kind of, you know, not have to rebuild, but really just uh, replenish. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a lot of talent there. Uh, like you know, like you talked about the quarterback position, good good problems to have with all that competition. So. Uh, you got it all over the field. So, you know, you know, you mentioned uh, Smith at the beginning. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. Ruggs and Judy are the guys that, that really get the, the most attention. Uh, you know, they're both coming out, both, uh, you know, likely first-round guys. Uh, to me, just, just casually watching Bama, not being a Bama guy, it seemed to me like when they needed a conversion, when they needed a play, uh, you know, just to – a clutch, a, a clutch uh, play to keep the keep the chains moving, or, or whatever it was. It seemed like Tua wanted uh, Devontae Smith. It seemed like that was the guy he was looking for. Am I am I wrong on that? Or no, you're definitely not. And, and that really dates back to to Devontae Smith's first season at Alabama. I mean, really, when you talk about clutch players and, and the kind of clutch plays that he made, uh, he was the one with that uh, famous. Tua Tungvaloa play against Vanderbilt where he kind of spun out of some stuff and just turned around and threw it up. Devontae Smith was one of the receiving end of that. Um, there was a big play where Alabama needed to get a win on the road in Starkville against a good Mississippi State team. And uh, 
Jalen Hurts was the starting quarterback and, and ended up throwing a game-winning touchdown pass to Devontae Smith. And then, of course, that 41-yard touchdown on second 26 against Georgia in the national championship in overtime, that was to Devontae Smith. So he was already kind of known during his first season as being that kind of clutch factor uh, guy that you needed uh, in those really big moments. Last season, he was banged up a little bit. Uh, but, you know, he was able to stay healthy this year. I think the big thing as far as why NFL teams probably are a lot higher on Ruggs and Judy, it, despite the fact that the production, a lot of it obviously went to Devontae Smith this year is simply because defenses were scheming against uh, Ruggs and Judy a, a heck of a lot more. And that's what made Alabama so lethal offensively is you really couldn't scheme against all the weapons that they had and somebody was going to, you know, be in single coverage and, and be able to have a chance to get open. And Devonte Smith was just that guy. And what the big thing in the off season for Tua Tungvaloa and something that the coaching staff really wanted to, to do with him is take what the defense gives you. Don't try to be the hero on every single snap. And Tua really did a good job of improving in that area uh, for his junior season and the beneficiary in that scenario was Devontae Smith because in a lot of situations, what the defense was giving uh, Alabama's offense was Devontae Smith. They were trying to take uh, Ruggs and, and Judy out of the equation as much as they possibly could. So from a statistical standpoint, yeah, uh, and, and Devontae Smith still a, a super talented kid, super talented. He's only 175 pounds. That's going to be a concern. He doesn't have the elite uh, over-the-top speed, deep speed, vertical speed, whatever you want to call it that a guy like Hollywood Brown or Deshaun Jackson have despite being undersized, but he plays a lot bigger than he is. He's very, he's a very willing blocker in the run game. Um, he's a very selfless player like all these Alabama receivers. So he's a very special kid, got great hands. Um, he's going to make an NFL team happy as well. Uh, it's just going to have to be in 2021. And if he can come back and continue to add a little bit of weight and continue to stay healthy, um, you know, with him being one of the top two options in Tuscaloosa compared to being three or four, he'll have a chance to prove to NFL teams, hey, I'm capable of being the guy that defenses are trying to stop and still making big plays. And I think that'll be really important for him for the 2021 draft. Yeah, with uh, without those guys around, you you would certainly think his stock will rise. But, man, I would I would be thrilled uh, if somebody came back in time and, and told me that in the uh, 2021 draft, the Bengals got Moses in round one and Smith in round two. Uh, I'd, I'd be feeling pretty good about the future. <laughs> Absolutely, especially with an accurate quarterback uh, like Joe Burrow. I mean, he can do a lot of different things. But what has made Alabama so dynamic offensively is you have a quarterback like Tua Tungvaloa, who is one of the most accurate quarterbacks that I've ever personally watched on tape. And you you don't have this big-bodied receiver that has to go vertical and, and win 50, 50 balls. All four of Alabama's top receivers that were so dynamic were pristine route runners. Uh, they cr could create separation through their route running. Um, you know, technicians, I guess you'd say. And that really just gelled really well with what Tua Tungvaloa did, did uh, as far as his strengths. And, and that really helped that Alabama offense thrive. All right. Well, uh, so, Clint, you, uh, uh, you, you work with uh, Roll Tide Wire. Is there anywhere else that people can uh, find some of your work? Yeah, uh, so like you said, uh, Roll Tide Wire through USA Today Sports. Uh, that's where you can find all of my written stuff. I also uh, host a podcast with Cecil Hurt um, called the Bama Beat Podcast through the Tuscaloosa News and TideSports.com. So if you want to listen, definitely the, the Bama Beat Podcast. If you want to 
check out my written stuff, uh, Roll Tide Wires, where you can find that. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Clint R. Lamb. Yeah, definitely a great follow. Uh, always some quality content out there. Uh, and uh, appreciate uh, appreciate you you coming uh, coming on and talking a little uh, a little Bama, a little tour with me. Uh, thanks for joining me, and uh, Roll Tide. Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate you having me on. Again, uh, get to get to one more, at least one more look at Burrow. Uh, possibilities of, of seeing him in a in the Senior Bowl or something, but uh, you know it's not the same thing. This is this is it. This is all the pressure. This is the national championship, uh, and everybody's gonna be watching. And you know it's exciting to see a Bengal, even if even if it be a future Bengal, uh, playing in a game on this type of level. So uh, I'll be back. Next Thursday, we'll get back to video breakdown. Did a lot of talking with a lot of stuff going on this week. Uh, but next week, we'll be back to some video breakdown, looking uh, at some uh, some film for the year. Got some stuff, uh, some some good stuff coming up, actually, uh, based on some, uh, some viewer requests. Uh, so we'll get into some of that. And we'll be right here, uh, leading all the way up to the draft and, and uh, throughout the offseason.